right, everybody. Welcome back to the One Two Kentucky Blue Podcast. I am your host, Coach John Spurlock. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today on the episode, my guests are Coach Stephen Wood and Coach Brenna McDonald. I wanted to sit down with our two assistant strength coaches to just kind of shoot the breeze for a little bit. It was also great timing because Brenna McDonald just got done with her first UK AD leadership class with our impact leadership director, Sean Umbro, to get to hear her thoughts on her first class for UK AD lead. We also talk about the good and bad and the ugly. And then we also realize that we need to sit down with the rest of our staff and talk about why we got into the field of strength and conditioning. I hope you enjoyed this episode. BMAC, good to hey, see hey. you. Good to see you guys. Sorry about that. My laptop's B- updating. It's all good. Tell us about <laughs> your first leadership class. Um, it was good. It. Um, I'm really interested to see in the differences and like when you guys took it versus when I take it because like we're reading totally different books. We're not doing True North stuff like that. Yeah. Well, um, it'll be interesting. Interesting to hear because Wood, when you did it with D, Jason was still running the show, correct? So nope. now, was Jason even there, BMAC? No. Mm-mm. So, oh, it was just Sean. I think even yeah. the years beforehand when Sean took over, I think Jason and Steph were still around. But so, what did you, what, what books are you reading? The Servant. And then after that, we'll do Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Oh, see, I've never read that one. Mm-hmm. Have you read that one, Wood? I've never read either of them. I've heard of The Servant, but uh, I've not read either of them. Those were good books to add to the list. That's awesome. So I'm going to read Five Dysfunction of the Team because I've heard people quote that one before and might as well just mark it off the list. So how was the setup in turn? Where were you? What room were you in? We're in the Legacy, or the Lexus Lounge in New Baseball. Um, oh. Yeah, I had never been in there. Like I walked past the Kentucky letters and it was very fancy. Um, but it was cool because it overlooked practice, so it breaks you out to watch some baseball practice. Um, but we were spaced. We each had our own, like, big, long folding table, um, and so we were spaced out pretty far, but it was it's a smaller group, so it was not like you were super far away from people. Yeah. Um, and then he had a little projector, and first he just kind of, like, talked about overall objectives and stuff, and then we went through – we had two readings, so we read the Why Should Anyone Be Led By You and the – I think like how you remembered one um so we did different activities where you just kind of like turn and turn, look to the people around you and uh discuss some of those things and start talking about like your experiences and what parts of the like common components of leadership that you struggle with or you think come easily stuff like that um he did a couple icebreakers we had to like we had to draw we had crayons and a piece of paper and you just had to draw things about you and then you go around and trade papers with people but you couldn't talk so, like, if I saw a horse on yours, I couldn't ask you, like, what's up with the horse? I just had to, like, he's got something with a horse involved. Um, but it was really hard to not talk because, like, we're talking people. Um, and some of us were pretty trash artists. And then um, we did a different one later where there was, like, this poem and you filled in blanks about your childhood. So it would be, like, you know, I'm from blank and blank. And it would say, like, you know, two things your parents did or two plants that you knew growing up, growing up. And then you'd have a whole poem about your childhood. So then you'd read it. And then like people could ask and be like, why'd you talk about fireworks for a lock? And then you could be like, well, I burned my eyebrows off because of it. So it was a lot of getting, getting to know the people around us, but um, it made sense to me after like knowing what I know about leadership class with you guys, where like you're kind of setting the scene to have a, a trusting environment. Um, 
So it, it was cool. I think that's awesome because I feel like the class that Rankin and I went through would indeed did it a year after it was super similar, which is good. But then we took a lot of those thoughts, poured it into our summer internship program. I think what you'll be going through, which is going to be different, you'll be able to bring some fresh ideas uh, to the staff that we can build upon in our summer internship program to give things a little bit of a fresh look. Um, yeah. I was just interested to see if Sean, if, I'm sorry, if Jason was going to be there with Sean, um, the whole setup, because I'm super happy that you guys are doing it in person and not over Zoom. And then even here in the couple of exercises you just described, it sounds like it's going to be an awesome experience. Who else is in the class? I know Mackenzie Watson is in the class with mm -hmm. you. Yeah, she was on my group. We talked. Uh, Macklin, one of my assistant swim coaches, oh, yeah. and we have a new assistant swim coach, Jordan. He was in on it. Um, Jeff, the baseball equipment guy. Jeff Poole. Uh, Jeff Poole. Yeah. Then Passion was there. Oh. Um, there was another, I didn't get everyone's name on the other side of the room. There's another lady in academics. There are two people that are from outside of athletics. Um, so one guy wasn't able to make it. And then a different lady works in the Dean's office, I think. Oh, um, really? Yeah. And then there was a K-Fun guy, um, two other guys in like marketing, I believe. And then Paul, my new assistant soccer, women's soccer coach. Gotcha. What else was I going to ask? Uh, oh, so they, you have swim coaches, assistant soccer coach. Because so when I took it, um, we had one assistant women's soccer coach. Carlos Drada was in the class as well. So head coach for women's tennis. Then we had people, Christy Garrett took um, the class with Rankin and I. Wood, did you have any assistant coaches or head coaches when you and D? Yeah, um, we had assistant volleyball coach. Um, we had an assistant women's soccer coach that's no longer with us. But for the most part, our group was a lot of administration, a lot, a lot of people in marketing or administration. Um, so there wasn't a ton of assistant coaches when, when I took it, which it provided. Provi we had a couple of equipment guys as well. So it, we had a really, really good array of, of experiences and, and people sharing their different experiences, which was really cool. So I'm I think I'm glad because we have a lot of people that are like much in a, in a much different place in life than like, say, Mackenzie and I. So like, you know, she and I are talking about like getting out of grad school and beginning your, you know, your real career. And then you have other people that have been in for years and have families and two kids. So there were some things I had a viewpoint on and then they would answer with it, having raised several kids and having to balance other things and build their lives in different ways. And it was they had a totally different take on it. So I, I think it'll be good. Oh, yeah, it'll be great. And I'm excited for you uh, to go through it. I'm glad it's there's going to be a fresh look to it and that Sean's running it. And I think it is something that is super unique that we have at Kentucky Athletics that if you're a full-time employee, um, you're able to go through this nine to 10th month uh, leadership course um, and walk away from it and I know specifically for me, I felt so much more confident and so much more well-equipped as a leader, not only for our staff, but also my teams. Um, and I think that's something that's super unique that we have going on. Another thing that I feel like is unique for our staff is right now I'm at home. I'm quarantined because of my family having a close contact with somebody that 
uh, tested positive for the virus. And I have no worries at all that you guys are not able to hold down the ship if I'm not there. So we got Coach Gibby running volleyball and women's basketball for me while I'm away. And I have no doubt that he's going to do a great job. I'm Wood, from what I hear, gave, gave a great presentation at a staff meeting today. Um, and maybe we can touch on that in a second, Wood. Just you can give me a quick rundown of it. But then also we're able to do something like this that I didn't even realize Zoom was a thing before uh, this pandemic hit. And we're still able to record a podcast episode, even though I'm at home in Georgetown, Kentucky. Woods over at Shively Weight Room and BMAC looks like you're in the conference room at Nutter Training Center. So um, I think that's something that's unique to our staff as well. Is even if one of us is gone, even me being the leader of our department, we're still able to keep the ship afloat and still run um, as smoothly as possible. But Wood, why don't you give me uh, the quick five-minute version of the presentation you gave to the staff today? I'll try to be quick. I'm not. I'm not always good at that. Um, but it was basically I. I read a book um, over the last month. It's called "Change Your Brain, Change Your Life" um, by Dr. Daniel Amen. Um, basically, what it goes through is, you know, I think for me, I started reading it because, like, getting back, you know, finishing up quarantine, and trying to get back, I just was really struggling with like my motivation and my attention to detail and my, you know, really like my overall work output and just my my mood. Um, and I was just struggling in, in a lot of those areas. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, but, um, I just started reading that book called change your brain, change your life. And it was really helpful. Um, you know, it kind of went through, you know, the biology of the brain. So, you know, back 30 years ago, we didn't know a ton about the brain. And when you think of like, I guess, mental disorders or, um, you know, mental health, like it has like a kind of a stigma to it. Like, Hey, we don't know a ton about it. And, you know, let's take these pills and all that. But, um, what I really liked about it is he, you know, he started about 25 years ago doing these scans on the brain where, you know, you get a lot of biofeedback on it um, about your brain activity and like blood flow. And, and you, you can, they've used these scans over the last 30 years to help, you know, treat and diagnose um, not just mental illnesses, but like, you know, mental, you know, just mood disorders and, and a little bit, you know, experiences of anxiety and, you know, everyone experiences anxiety at some point and depression at some point. Um, or maybe restlessness, or maybe it's, maybe it's attention to detail, lack of focus, you know, you don't have to have ADD, or you don't have to have an anxiety disorder, you don't have to have bipolar disorder to experience all these things, you know, they just, they just come and they manifest differently with everybody. So one thing I liked about it was, you know, I wasn't able to like do these brain scans, obviously, there's only like four or five places in the country that you can do it. But um, based on all those scans, they do like kind of a survey along with it. It takes about five or six minutes to take and, and it gives you some really good feedback on, you know, based on how you answer the questions and what they've seen from these spec scans, like how your brain works. Um, and so they kind of give you like an eight page readout after you take this. It's like, hey, your brain type, you know, whatever. And this is what that means. Um, and hey, like, you know, when you experience stress or when you experience these, these poor moods, like, here's what's happening. Here's the biology that's happening in the brain. Um, and here are some like non prescription remedies that you can do. You know, there's biological things like certain supplements you can take or how you can change your diet to like help these different moods. Um, you know, and just like the different areas of the brain and how they're linked together. And, um, I would, you know, you know, me, Sprock, I'm a little skeptical of that kind of stuff. Like with the surveys, you know, and we took that leadership class we were talking about, <clears throat> we, um, we did one of those surveys and I think we both agree like how uncannily accurate it was. 
Um, you know, I was skeptical of it, but after reading those results, I was like, oh, wow, they're pretty locked in, locked in and dialed in. I felt the same way after I took this, this, you know, this five minute survey, I guess. And I was like, oh yeah, that's me almost to a T. And so then it went into the biology of the brain and then pairing that with reading the book, it was like super helpful for like me to not just like know what's going on in my brain. You know, I'm a very scientific person. One thing that I learned um, about myself is that, um, like my prefrontal cortex, kind of my thinking brain and my limbic system, my like old brain with like your emotional brain and your like instinctive brain are very tied in together. Right. So like, I don't like to think about something unless I'm like emotionally invested in it. You know, you can, I bet both of you could probably agree that if I don't care about something, I don't care about it. Like I just now put no effort into it whatsoever. I have to like care about something and then I dive like deep into it and I get like a hundred percent into it. Um, so I learned that about my brain and it's like, okay, well now I, now I understand that, Hey, I have to find a way to like emotionally invest in something, especially like, you know, a situation at work where it's like, Hey, you know, like I'm not really enjoying all this busy work or I don't like this area, this, this part of my task and my job. But if I can link it back to something that I'm passionate about, be like, well, Hey, if I, if I can get these tasks done, I can spend more time doing this, what I love. Right. And then, I can make that connection to my brain and I can be more effective at maybe something that I'm not super enjoy that I really enjoy. And that was just one example of like me particularly, but, you know, I went through all of that and, you know, I went through um, basically how that affects your relationships. Um, it went through a lot of like addiction It talked a lot about like ADD and ADHD and all of the, the spectrum of that, you know, cause everyone has a problem with attentiveness and, and lack of focus at times. And, and I just found it really helpful to like, the biology behind it um because that's something that obviously i'm very passionate about is science and, and you know the human body and you know the brain is like a muscle and, you know one thing i learned is that a lot of this stuff can be hereditary but you know there's things that you can do to to change the way that your brain sends messages to each other change the way like that your brain sends signals back and forth and um you can make adjustments to it and you know we've done some you know me struggling with like getting back is something that you and I have talked about Spurlock, you know, over the last couple months. And, and it's something that is not, I wouldn't say I'm the, you know, perfect, but you know, it's something that I've been able to identify a lot more of. And it gave me very tangible things that will help me specifically. You know, it's, it's a lot of the stuff that we talk about. It's making gratitude lists. It's having to do lists. It's, you know, writing down your goals, but like, you know, there's very specific things. It's like, Hey, this is going to help you more because of X, Y, and Z. Whereas like this may be beneficial, but I think if you tie it in a little bit over here, you're going to get more out of it. So it's been able for me to like focus what I like spend my time on to like help increase my mood and my behaviors and um, like get back to like getting into that routine and being effective and managing my time better. Do you think there's anything uh, so we do the this assessment as a staff and like you mentioned i found a great amount of value with the information i got from that no not only for myself but also learning more about you all so we can interact with each other more efficiently um is there anything from this book or what you've learned that we can put into play for our staff or even our teams totally i mean i think and i think you know like i thought like when I was reading the book, I really related it back to myself, but I also related it back to you, Spurlock, which is, which is interesting because like I was reading these things like, oh, that sounds like Spurlock, right? That sounds like Spurlock. And then it's like, you know, when you're in times of stress, like you manifest that in a different mood or a different behaviors than I do, right? 
And so I'm reading it and I'm certain areas were like, man, this is me. I need to lock this in. I need to take notes. And then other parts, I was like, you know, this isn't necessarily like me, but like, I know people like, okay, when Spurlock gets stressed, this is where he goes. Right. And it gives you like tips and things to do, like, not just for yourself, but for like when people around you have those behaviors. Um, and so, you know, for me, like now I know like, Hey, like there's things that I can do to maybe get you out of that funk room and maybe like help increase like, um, our, our, like our output or like our efficiency level. Like, Hey, when I noticed that, like, Hey, you probably got a lot going on. So you're stressed, you're thinking about eight other things and like, Hey, there's, here's two or three things that I can do or how I can approach a situation that in that link that I sent everyone, I, uh, or in that, that thing I sent out yesterday, there's a link at the bottom of it to do that, that survey that I was talking about. It literally takes under five minutes. Um, it gives you like an eight to 10 page readout about you. And I, I was very surprised how uncannily accurate it was. And, you know, I took it at a point where I was like, not in a good mood, what I wouldn't consider like my best mood. Right. It took it at, a time where I was like struggling to like get things done and like stay motivated and like find enjoyment, you know, through like things that I usually enjoy and like doing it at that time, I thought was really crucial. Um, and I learned a lot about myself. So I think that if everyone took it, you know, a couple, uh, coach Jones took it this morning and he was like, Oh, I'm a type six. I was like, Oh, I'm a type eight. Like, and so like, it, it it may be beneficial for us to take it, you know, similar to how we like talk about the disc assessment, maybe like one or two points, like, Hey, these are good ways to communicate with me. These are not, um, it may be like, Hey, like when I'm stressed, like these are the six things that I do or three or four things that I do. Um, like, so like, if you recognize this, like help me get out of that rut. Cause a lot of it goes back to like social interaction, like what you can do like socially to help get you out of it. There's biological things that it gives you, you know, it breaks it down into four areas. There's biological, there's psychological, um, there is spiritual and then social. And so it gives you four different categories in which you can do things to like help affect that mood and put you in a more positive uh, brain activity. That's awesome. I'm going to click on that link and take that sometime this week. Um, one thing you mentioned is kind of the adjustment of coming back to work. And I want to touch on that next and I'll throw it to you, BMAC. So you and I have both been back to work. It was mid to late June or early July when volleyball and soccer started lifting and running with us um, at Nutter Training Center, uh, which is much different than the situation Wood and D were in where they didn't come back to work until pretty much when school started. As you got back to work in June and July and as school has started, how has the adjustment been for you? And I think both of you and I would agree there's been a lot of ups and downs with, you know, athletes coming back in different ways, people getting thrown into quarantine because they had a close contact, specifically the situation I'm in right now where I'm in quarantine, having to rely on uh, Coach Gibby to run the workouts that I put together. What, what has been the ups and downs for you? What's worked? What hasn't? What's been frustrating? What's been great? What, what are your general thoughts? I'm, I'm like you said, I'm both thankful and not thankful for it. Um, I think at first I thought, man, you know, Dee and Wood are going to be so struggling when they get back to work. We've already got our routine down. We know the home drill. Um, uh, but then the joke was kind of on us because you and I had, you know, three and four waves in the summer, um, of different athletes coming in. And then even as school started, I felt like I was still running different programs, especially like with my swim team where there were literally like five waves of them. And then people got quarantined in the middle of it. And it was, there were so many programs happening. Whereas 
I saw a little bit of that with with Dee and Wood as they're handling kind of everything we're handling with the, the situation as with quarantine as it is, but um, they didn't have to juggle as many waves. On the other hand, I think that I am extremely thankful for it because I am a extremely routine based person and a people person. And when I didn't have either one of those, I enjoyed some of the time. I watched a lot of movies, um, but I was not productive or kind of fulfilling the goals that I had. So getting back into things in June or July got me up and moving again. And it got me kind of back to, to what I know best and how to be productive and, and what I enjoy. So um, definitely thankful for like having that time to learn, but also sometimes I look at it and like, man, it would have been so much easier to just start everybody in, in August when they all came back in here. That is true. Wood, what about you? I know your groups kind of started a little bit later, even after school started. Yeah, you know, I mean, the biggest the biggest challenges were just like making it all logistically happen. Um, you know, we're working out of a smaller facility over here um, in Shively. We got a pretty big team, so you know, making sure that we could get everybody in and do it efficiently and keep everything organized um, was probably the biggest struggle at first. And you know, uh, that was probably an area of stress for me. But once we got rolling, it, it started going really well. And you know, we've had our hiccups and we've had. To, you know, swing things around and, and get back and people leave and come back and all that stuff. But um, overall, like, I feel like we're definitely in a big, a better swing now and things are getting back. I definitely feel like things are more normal now um, than they were. You know, I think, I think more of the stress of like the logistics of it before it even happened was, was my biggest, uh, my biggest worry, I guess, coming into it. And now that you know, and that's usually me. I'm, I'm an overthinker and I worry about things. So, you know, once we got moving, I was like, oh, okay, this is great. This is, um, this is what, you know, this is why I do what I do. And this is, uh, it's feeling a lot more normal. And, you know, you get a chance to actually see your athletes face to face for the first time and in, in five, six months. And man, it felt really good. It felt really good. And that's definitely what's been motivating me. It's just getting to see the kids and or the student athletes and, um, and trying to get back to as much normal as we can. You said face-to-face -face workouts, thing. but also we, everybody's wearing a mask. <laughs> yeah, I, found okay. difficult, I found it very difficult to learn new athletes' names when you only see them from the – Oh, how do you think about that? See, oh, my yeah, teams yeah. are so small that it. That's, I had three new players for volleyball and six new players for basketball. So that really wasn't a big deal for me, but I didn't think about that for you all with bigger teams like track mm -hmm. and swim trying to learn, you know, 20 new names with faces when you can only see half their face. What were you going to say? And then they're in orientation too. So they're even separate from our like returners. And I trained the returners and Guyman's got my orientation kids. So I still don't have some of their names down and they just look at me like you monster, uh, which that is on me. But uh, as Wood was talking, it kind of reminded me too, like I think the most stressful part about coming back for me was um, seeing the unknown and how it affected the athletes so like once we knew hey you're going to have soccer games you're going to have volleyball games um there will be competitions that helped a lot but in the beginning it was like okay you know shoot did we just go through all this work for them to be sent home okay did we just go through all this work for them to still stay in off season forever like our you know every day kind of having that and then even within those team meetings it's like no games no season okay some games okay all games okay just kidding hybrid and so it was constant change and it was hard to watch it wear on them and know like try to appropriately push them and, and how do you bring up a group when you didn't even know you know they're coming to you and they're like help guys are getting unmotivated you know we got people struggling hanging on and you're like I don't 
I don't know how to navigate navigate you through this because I don't know what the next couple, I don't know what tomorrow looks like. So I'm glad that that part's over. And while we have uncertainty, it's a lot more certain than it was before. That's a really good point. Cause there was a time during late summer, maybe like uh, early August where we still didn't know what was going on with football and you knew a decision was going to be made about football and their season before they even touched the Olympic sports like cross country, volleyball, and soccer. So you're just, you hear through the grapevine, okay, university presidents and athletic directors are meeting this date. And then that day would come and go and they're like, well, they didn't have any answers. So your emotions are going up and down and that's just, and like you made a great point that it, it affected us emotionally. I can only imagine what was going through the student athletes minds. Um, one thing I was going to mention as well is that it, in terms of getting comfortable wearing a mask and coaching, I, it's just become a part of me now. So as soon as I get out of my truck in the morning, I put on my mask. And if I were to walk out of my office at Joe Craft without my mask on, it, it, I immediately notice it. It's like, oh, yeah, I forgot my mask. It's just like if I didn't have my uh, UK ID or my cell phone on me. Like my mask is just a part of my uniform now. And that was something that I didn't realize how easy I was going to um, not get attached to it, but that just become the new normal. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Yeah, we were in leadership class this morning and he said, you know, we're adequately spaced according to all these rules. You can take it down if you'd like to. And I really, a couple of months ago, people would have been like, woof, take this off. But almost all of us left it on unless you were really talking to the group, um, just because it's just part of your face now. Yeah, no, I agree. It's kind of just like a part of me. Like if I got my gator on my, I got a gator on my wrist when I'm in my office on my own and it sits next to my door and I wrap it there. And once I get out of my truck at work, I put it on and then off we go. You're used to it. So one thing, uh, myself, D, Carrillo, and then Cam Bird talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the field of collegiate strength and conditioning. Um, whether, you, whether you guys want to pick a good or bad or an ugly, but kind of give me uh, your quick thoughts on that in terms of our profession. Wood, I'll start with you. Uh, well, you know, the good is certainly why I uh, got into it. It's you get to help people, you get to motivate people, I get to share my experience with them and, you know, hopefully build these young men and women into, you know, fully grown adults that are going to make it in this real world. Um, you know, when I, I went to college and I moved away from home and I, I wanted to, I went specific for a very specific under or graduate program. So I didn't play any sports, you know, I wanted to play, I played lacrosse and hockey in high school, but I didn't end up playing. Um, I didn't end up playing in college. So, you know, I made a ton of mistakes my first few years of college and it really took me a while to wrap my head around like, Hey, what am I doing and where am I trying to get to? And, you know, I just like to, I just would like people to learn maybe from my mistakes or if I can impart some wisdom, you know, to everybody else um, before, before they make those same mistakes, because, you know, if you either, you either win or you learn. Right. And so like there, I did a lot of learning in college, um, that in that, in that aspect. So, you know, if I can help them win those situations before they get to them, you know, to me, that's why I got into it. Um, and I love, I love just being able to work with people that, you know, are highly motivated and, and have goals and help them set those goals and help them understand like the best way to achieve them. 
um, and just watch it happen through four years. You know, this is my fifth year at UK, so I've I've seen every single one of my freshmen up through, and you know, I've gone done everyone's orientation, and it's so cool to just you know when when you're upperclassmen that have graduated last year still reach out to you and hey I'm in town like can we meet up hey like how are you doing like I got a message from one of my seniors my first year here Caitlin Taylor I don't know if you remember but she messaged me about a week ago and was like hey I just wanted to check in and what I was wondering how you were doing I was thinking about you like you helped me so much like I hope you're doing well and it was just like one of those messages and like it was like on a day where I was definitely struggling to like find my motivation and it just like totally changed my day. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I hope I can do that for somebody else. So that's, that's the good of this job is, you know, we get our hands dirty and get to do that a lot. You know, I think maybe one of the bad or the ugly is just, um, there's, I think there's just a lot of expectation. Um, and there's a lot of like, maybe not stigma, but there's like a lot of just, hey, this is what this job is, right? You're going to work really long hours. You're, you know, you're going to be a paid what you get paid and, and you're going to, um, and that's just the way it is. You're going to work really hard. You're going to be the hardest worker in the room. You're just going to have to stick it out and grind it out. Right. You're just a grinder. Right. It's like, well, you know what? That wears on people. You know what I'm saying? And that like, that really does. And I think, you know, over that quarantine, it really like, well, opened my eyes. Right. Because, you know, I had all this free time and I was getting all this sleep and I was physically, physically feeling better. Right. And emotionally, like, you know, it's like, Hey, like, where are we going? Like, what, you know, is this something that I want to do for the rest of my life? These are questions that were going through my head during quarantine. Cause it was like, Hey, you know, sleeping until eight o'clock every day isn't so bad. Right. Um, you know, getting home before the sun sets, <laughs> that's a nice thing. Right. You know, you can go out and maybe do something outside or like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, how to have a family or like even have a pet, you know, something like that. It's like, those things are just like, it's just, it's just a rite of passage, I guess. And, and, you know, I don't think that that's always the most healthiest way to, to, to approach a job, right? It's like, Hey, you know what? Like, it's okay. And uh, one thing I love about our staff is, you know, you Spurlock, you we kind of like, you know, set our priorities first, I think is what we have written down on our staff meeting sheet where it's like, Hey, like, you know, we've got the, we, we have to, we have to take care of ourselves. Right. So if you've got some time or you can get out of here, like get out of here, like do it and take that time. And that's something that, you know, I don't know if every, every group has, you know, I talk to, I talk to people in the field that are like, no, it's just grind every single day, 12, 14 hours. And even if there's maybe not something particularly that I need to be there for, I got to be there. Cause that's what the looming feeling is. And, you know, I just think that that's, I think that that burn, I, I just worry about some of my friends in the field. And even I have a lot of friends that have left the field um, that aren't doing it anymore. And it's like, man, you were a really good, you were really good at what you did and you were so passionate about it. Um, but like just the grind just wore you down. And it's like, Hey, is there a way that, you know, I'd love to find a way that you know, we can meet in the middle. Right. You know, I think that we've all got this hard work ethic as strength and conditioning coaches, you know, this is what we want to do. And we have no problem putting in hard work and, and doing the dirty work, but you know, it's, it's nice to, to have that time and to just be able to like, you know, work to live sometimes and not live to work. Um, I think sometimes that it gets, that's a blurry line for strength and conditioning. I think what you said is perfect where the, if you stay on the grind working 12 to 16 hours a day, um, year round, that's when you look at the older people in our profession and you notice that there's not a lot of people out there that retire as strength coaches. So even if we look at Kentucky specifically, 
You have Stephanie Tracy Simmons, who got out of strength and conditioning and moved into administration. Same thing with Rock Oliver. Same thing with Mark Hill. Um, three really good strength coaches that ended up leaving the business for their for their own reasons. They're still in college athletics, but you know, three really good strength coaches that are not going to retire as strength coaches. And that's something I often think about is, you know, what's the next step in my career? You know, I love what I do. I love you guys. I love our staff. But am I going to be a strength coach forever? Is the grind going to get to me? Uh, am I going to make decisions in my professional and personal life so it doesn't get to me? Uh, I also think about, you know, I'm 37 years old right now. Is there going to get to a point in my career that I can, I don't feel like I can relate to 18 to 23 year old student athletes. And then do I need to hang up my, my strength conditioning, uh, let's say my strength conditioning whistle and then pursue something else in college athletics. So those are all questions that go into my head, uh, but passing it over to you, Mac, what's good, bad, and the ugly. What's, what's your thoughts? Um, my good is kind of similar to Woods. I mean, my kind of why is like actually in leadership class today, we had to sit there and write a leader that we really, really looked up to. And, um, I think I have a couple in my life now, but growing up, I didn't have that. I didn't have a father figure. I didn't have a lot of good coaches that most of my coaches put me down instead of building me back up. Or if I believed in them, then they ended up making very like fatal mistakes. And so I had a lot of things that I learned through growing up that I wish that I would have had somebody there to believe in me or to, you know, to push me and, and guide me a little bit more instead of just trying to kind of blindly look my way through it. So, and don't get me wrong, I had some good people in my life, but there were a lot of people that every time I tried to lean on them, it, they kind of let me down. So I got into this because I wanted to be that person for people. I want to, you know, and even then I see with some of our athletes now that haven't had a very great role model for them yet, or they don't believe in themselves yet. And so I like the opportunity to impact as many people as we have. Um, I, I think that that's something you can't trade and something that it's really hard to find in a career. Um, and it, and it, there are fun parts of it too. You know, I mean, there are days where the only thing I have to do that day is go stand on the soccer field and warm some kids up for a game. Like that's a pretty cool job. Um, so I like the, the opportunities to impact people. I think that that's just, you know, you can't put a price on that. Um, the ugly, I, definitely what Wood said, you know, kind of going with the scheduling, but I think something I'm more struggling with now is that you put in all of that work and a lot of time it's not appreciated. Um, and I don't mean like by other strength coaches or anything like that. Like I, it's just the people you work with and for. So, you know, and, and we know that going into it, but when trophies are being handed out, it's not strength conditioning's fault. You know, it's not everything that they did that got you to that trophy, but when things aren't going well, it's strength conditioning's fault. Um, and I think that there are just some sides of it that um, even if there isn't a particular like conflict where it is a situation where it's like, it's because of the lift. I think that there are many other times where it's just not, people don't take a minute to realize that there are people that are putting in hours for them or even athletes that are, you care and pour into them. You know, I tell my soccer guys that all the time, because I think a lot of times they just see this person is telling them like, no, don't hang from that pole. No, don't try to do a black backflip off that unstable surface. No, don't do this. Cause they're crazy soccer guys. But like at the end of the day, I care about them and I want them to get better. But a lot of them have that lens where it's just like, no, 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 no. Um, and it's not me versus them. Like I'm there for you. I was like, guys, all of these people that work here, athletic training, you know, nutrition, like all of us that are putting in these long hours aren't doing it because we love the long hours. We're doing it because of you guys and sport coaches that a lot of times I think see it as training conditioning versus sport coaches. I'm like, 
I'm literally working for you. Like I want to help you hold up that trophy. So I think that's kind of where my, my current disconnect is. Um, and I think that's what bothers me currently more so than the hours, just because it's, you're kind of like, you know, going uphill. It's an uphill battle sometimes with that. Um, what I like about what both of you said, and I think this is where I often ask the question, especially if it's like in an interview, it's like, how did you get into strength and conditioning? Like, what's your path as opposed to the why? And I don't think it would. And I had talked about that, but I don't know if I've had ever asked you be Mac your why, like, why did you get into strength and conditioning? And I don't think I asked that question because I, until I started hearing other people talk about their why, and it was a, there was another strength and conditioning podcast I was listening to, and I forget what the name of the podcast was, but I was listening to it because uh, Ramey was on it. And we all know Ramey. Uh, she was one of Rankin's mentors, but I wanted to hear what Ramey said. And the first question they asked her was the why. And then I started thinking, I was like, man, I haven't really thought about my why. I know my how, like how I got into this business, but I never really think about you know, why I got into this business. And that might be a whole other different podcast where we can get, uh, you know, the three of us, D and uh, Knox and Guyman on and talk about our why. But the other thing I wrote down that you said, BMAC, is um, the appreciation part. You know, when you feel appreciated, that is the number one motivator for me, not only with the student athletes or, or the sport coaches, when they are show their appreciation, even if it's a thank you. Sometimes it's a card, sometimes it's a t-shirt, sometimes it's gear. Um, but if they, if I feel like I'm appreciated, I am going to work so much harder for that team or even our staff. Like when I know that you guys are appreciative of the effort I put into uh, whatever it is, uh, I, that, that is my biggest motivator. Um, and that's something that I don't know that I realized when I was younger in my career. And I think a lot of people, uh, I, I had this conversation with Jordan um, during quarantine at some point, but it was like, no matter, how, we're all hard workers and no matter how much money you pay me, or what my salary is, I, there's going to get to a point where I can't work any harder, but I can stay motivated. But my money's not really what motivates me. It's the appreciation I think that, um, that gets me up in the morning, that knowing that I'm appreciated, that's what drives me each and every day. But kind of going back to the why, I think that might be our next podcast episode is where we sit down as a staff and just share our whys. And I think I know, I've heard Wood talk about his why, but even, same thing with D. I've known D a long time. I don't think I've ever sat down with him and talked through his why with him. And I think that would be good for us to hear each other's um, stories when we talk about that. And I think you usually have a short answer why, you know, uh, here's 30 seconds to tell you my why, but a lot of us have a, you know, several minute longer story that it's not just that one snapshot of really, why do you, why do you do this? And I would guess to say that our whys, if we have seven people in our core seven of our staff, it's going to be seven different reasons. There might be some similarities, but as I think through mine, and I really want to sit down and, uh, you know, do some reflection, write down my thoughts so when we do talk about it i can lay it all out there i think mine's going to be completely different than everybody else's <laughs> you guys got anything else you want to chat about that we had a good conversation you know bmac signed up for that weightlifting meet right 
I did not know that, BMAC. Where is said weightlifting competition? It's in Florence, Florida. Kentucky. I thought you were going to say Florida. My like, guys, that might not be the best place to go right now. <laughs> no. Nope. It's October 24th in Florence. Um, there's an awesome gym and weightlifting club up there owned by a guy named Jarrett. Um, he's, he's hosting the state open. It's going to be fantastic. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. BMAX doing her second meet ever. It's going to be exciting. Um, looking forward to coaching her. She's been crushing her lifting and then I'm going to lift as well. So it'll be, uh, it'll be a fun day overall. It'll be a fun day overall. So you two are doing, is Guyman doing it? No, no Guyman. Yeah. What about Strobis? He says he's doing it. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm not going to be signed up yet, but he said he was going to do it. Coach Fang is also doing it. Okay, good. Four staff members representing at uh, at this meet, which is going to be pretty cool. We've uh, awesome. we've turned into a, a little weightlifting club around here. So, what is the gym's name? I think it's Florence Barbell. I want to gotcha. say. Um, is it a big? I'm, is it a bigger facility or is it like a smaller CrossFit gig? No, it's big. It's it's. Um, it's what you think about like kind of like a warehouse facility almost they got a nice little entryway but um they hosted the state meet two years ago we didn't have a state meet really last year we had a small one this summer but um two years ago in april they hosted the state meet and they had enough to have two warm two full uh competition platforms going at the same time um and we had over i think 100 some athletes out there um, compete throughout one day. Um, we were able to do the whole state meet in one day and man, Jared put on an awesome show there. I believe he's the president of Kentucky weightlifting now. So, uh, yeah, he's the, he's the leader in command and he does a great job and he hosts a great meet. And I, I'm very much looking forward to getting out there and getting back on the platform. It's been a while. Throwing, throwing some weight around. Gonna try to, gonna try what, to. What are we thinking of for openers, Wood? What are you going to open with? That's a great question. Um, I'm going to open between 97 and 100 on snatch and then clean and jerk. Um, I'm hoping 125. B-Mac about the same? <laughs> <laughs> so this is B-Mac. It'll just be your second meet, correct, B-Mac? Yeah. And even the first one that you did, that was very controlled, very small local meet. So you being mm -hmm. able to compete with how many how many competitors do you think would are gonna have signed I haven't up? checked the sign up but I would say there's probably gonna be one men's session and one women's session and possibly a youth session. Sometimes they'll do a youth session in the morning. Um, but I would anticipate there's gonna be fifteen to seventeen lifters uh, in the women's session and probably the same in the men's. Man, that's a lot. That's a lot to manage. And that just changes the whole dynamic of the competition when you gotta figure out what 15 to 17 other athletes are doing with, you know, where, where are they open? What type of bumps are going to make? Are they, are they starting heavy? Are they going to hit their opener and timing all that out is tough. And that was when I was competing on a regular basis, that was the most draining part of the competition for me is the, the mental aspect of it. Even as a coach too, when I was coaching Ashley Tremble and Metzger, that would just go into American open and nationals and, uh, that's even those meets those are so stressful so i remember so i did a small meet this summer but the last meet i did was at the arnold classic it was, it was right before everything shut down for quarantine and you know i was it was weird because i was in 
I got bumped. I was in like the B session. Like, so at those national meets, everyone's in your weight class. Right. So at these locals, you know, state meets, you know, it's everyone, basically the heaviest lifters lift together. Right. And, and if there's two groups, the lighter lifters lift together, regardless of your weight class. Well, in at the Arnold, it was just 73s and I was in the B session right in the middle of the pack. And then they bumped me down to the C session because of changes and drops and things like that. Um, so then I was like right near the top. So I thought I was like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, probably be one of the last lifters to go. And, you know, you know, all I'm focusing on is lifting. Right. And, you know, I've got Melissa and camp and man, they're great. I guess we just take a different approach to our lifting. Like we don't play a lot of games in the back. Like a lot of people try to play these games. And yeah. That's terrible. I just, and then people are just missing their lifts. It's like, okay, I went five for six and that was a pretty good meet for me. Right. I missed one lift and it was a press out, which I had. Right. Um, so like, you know, I'm warming up and I'm, my opener is my opener. Right. I didn't put a lower opener and start bumping up. Everybody did that. Right. So I went from like, I'm up in 10 attempts. Right. So I'm, I'm thinking I got 12, 13 minutes. Right. I got probably four attempts left in the back. Right. And all of a sudden I'm three people up because everyone bumped up. Right. And I'm like, Oh geez. Okay. And then I hit that lift and then everybody misses their attempt, right. They're opening attempt. Like we have four or five people miss their opening attempt. So then, okay. Now it's now I'm waiting 19 minutes to hit my second attempt. And it's like, okay, guys, just hit our lifts. So I got frustrated at that. And you know, I'm hopefully things aren't going to get too wild at our, uh, at our Kentucky open. But uh, you know, that's something I think about and I, I can't even imagine how stressful it is as a coach. Cause I, I understand that's a strategy that some people use in the back, but that was, yeah, I was with you would when I think I was in Mobile, Alabama with Ashley Trimble. At, um, it was either the American open or nationals and people did the same thing. Like I'm thinking Ashley has, you know, at least 10 attempts before she steps on the platform all of a sudden. And it's like, okay, Ashley's they're calling her name. I'm like, what the heck just happened? Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's frustrating but i understand it's part of the game but it's still um, i think i think americans gotta do better at hitting their lifts and like having a strategy i think like you see so many people go like two or three for six and it's like man you got i don't know i just because i i ended up got bumped to the c session right so that means there's 25 athletes ahead of me right that are qualified and higher rank than me right or gonna hit higher openers Going into the A session, right, I was the top-ranked lifter. So I beat everyone in the B session. I, I beat them all. And I'm like, well, it's just because I hit my lifts, right? It's, it's because I didn't overjudge myself, right? I, I knew what I was going to hit. I was confident in it. And the one lift that I missed, it was just a simple error mistake on my opener of a press-out. I locked it in right after that. And then we took our jump to what we wanted to hit, and we hit it. Um, you know, it's just that's one thing that I've noticed is, like, a lot of – you go to these national meets and people are going two for six and three for six. And it's like, man, we just got to hit our lifts. <laughs> I agree, but let's call it there guys. I think that was a good episode. Glad I got to have some time to sit down and talk with both of you, because even though when I am on campus, it, it's, it's still a struggle to get over to Nutter and, or, or over to Shively and get some, get some time with you guys and just, uh, talk about what we got going on. So I appreciate you guys hopping on the Zoom call and talking with me. But for all of our listeners out there, if you have any questions or feedback for us, don't hesitate to email us at ukstrength at uky.edu. Thanks and go Cats.